0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz. Fox, and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, March 17th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Media, PR, spin, talking points. It all helps shape a narrative, but in a time of war, it can be even more critical what
1: a population sees and hears. We're talking about nuclear weapons, but uh, if the information uh, and media is another nuclear weapon, when you have power over minds of people.
2: I'm Chris Foster. President Biden has less than eight months left now to convince voters Democrats should stay in power.
3: Voters are uh, very concerned about inflation. It is the number one issue, number one concern on the minds of voters. The economy is always the driving force in in elections particularly midterm elections and i'm gordon chan i've got the final word on the fox news rundown
0: u.s lawmakers heard from ukraine's president in a speech to congress wednesday volodymyr Zelensky said even without a no-fly zone there was still more the u.s could do to help send aircraft impose even more sanctions
4: i'm addressing the president biden You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace.
0: President Biden called the speech convincing, and while he won't commit to a no-fly zone or to sending planes, he authorized $800 million in additional military assistance.
5: He speaks for a people who have shown remarkable courage and strength in the face of brutal aggression. Courage and strength that's inspired not only Ukrainians, but the entire world
0: speech during war and how much of it or how little of it a population hears is critical. The Nazis used the media to shape public opinion as Joseph Goebbels famously ran Hitler's Ministry for Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. In Russia now, an effort to shape the narrative is underway as well, as independent media vanishes from the country and state TV dominates. Still there are those willing to speak out. (laughs) Marina Ovsiannikova held up a sign that read, no war on live TV in Russia. She was later interrogated and fined. Russian media has included narratives like that there are US-backed bioweapons labs in Ukraine. It's a narrative that's gained so much traction, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio tried to clarify what is in Ukraine when State Department Undersecretary Victoria Nuland recently testified. She said there are biological research facilities in Ukraine that the US is trying to help manage so they don't fall into Russian hands.
5: If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or uh or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100% it would be the Russians that would be behind it?
6: There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy, what they're planning to do themselves. Russia's president went on TV Wednesday to say that pro-Western Russians, especially abroad, are scum and traitors. He compared the West to Nazi Germany, and the Kremlin blocked access to additional news websites.
1: What's going on now, it's a big tragedy that I haven't expected to have in my lifetime. It's a real war. Anna Colton
6: is a former television news anchor and once worked at Russia's NTV. She now lives in the U.S.
1: And as war keep going, propaganda that is existing in Russia takes over people's mind. And there, they don't have a clear picture of what's really going on because it's a war in this propaganda. And they present it with only one side. It's one thing, another thing, Does people are scared to do or say anything, and I think that I, I think in the months, uh, the couple of liberal channels were shut down, biggest channels and other media. so we're witnessing how the what's called the rest of uh, freedom is dying in russia and what are people being told as to why russia has gone into Ukraine. you know they have only one perspective. It's perspective that Russia protecting their people in Ukraine. And that's what majority of people who only have like three channels, main channels learned. They don't have more information. They don't have given that more than half of people, more than 50 percent don't have an access to Internet or other alternative Mm -hmm. media. They only have that pictures and the only one governmental narrative. I understand there's
6: now a law that someone can get 15 years in prison for reporting anything that the Kremlin considers fake. And we all saw that video of um, Marina of She was holding up that sign on Russian state TV against the war. Does Putin, in your opinion, like feel like controlling
1: the media isn't enough? He has to threaten people mm-hmm. with prison time? Uh, we're talking about nuclear weapons, but uh, inf- inf- the information and uh, in media is another nuclear weapon when you have power over minds of people because a lot of those people believing in, uh, in what pre- the president is doing is right. That's the only way of resolving the issue. Even there's like many there were many ways how uh, he can c- c- um, handle that issue, right? Not not just through killing other people and um, through war. Tell me about your time working in Russian media.
6: You worked at NTV, right? And I understand that. Is, is that considered pro-Kremlin? Was it considered pro-Kremlin when you worked there?
1: Yeah, all major stations and broadcast companies, uh, they were pro-Kremlin one way or another. It's not like you directly, you've been told, like, do this or do that, but you're kind of uh, working in an environment where there are certain rules and you need to follow them. So in a way, you kind of like, a you know, just a soldier doing your job. I want to say that uh, 10 years ago, it wasn't that strict and brutal and Still, you cannot say what you think, but it was okay. I could say that, but now, and we're witnessing, and we see what's going on with journalists, right? And I want to say that with Maria afsanikova who came out behind the anchor, she only get fined in two hundred eighty dollars, which is not a big fine, and she weren't jailed yet. While if we compare to what happened with Navalny and protesters and activists who disagreed with Putin in politics, they got fines way more than that. I think what happened here, it's just government understands that the whole, the rest of the world watching what's going on in Russia. That's why they are very careful on what they're doing. Mm. I think what happened was uh, the single girl and she wasn't like a famous journalist, but it's a pure heroism and she is a hero in my eyes
6: it it makes some of us think that there are people in russia even even though independent media has been liquidated echo moscow and tv rain yeah, no. and other outlets have been are, are now no more there are obviously people getting information somehow right this woman is getting Mm -hmm. information somehow that is making her say that that she doesn't believe in this war how are people like i'm on telegram and i'm in contact Mm -hmm. with a couple of people in st petersburg they still have telegram they still have their channels that they're getting information off of and they send me articles from like medusa Mm -hmm. how are people getting information if there's this big crackdown on media
1: I think some people still have an access to uh, some internet resources. It's impossible to shut down everything. Right. So of course people are getting information. The other thing, how are you going to handle this information? And it's almost a psychological thing when, you know, it's hard to accept, okay, I live in a country that does this and it's not right. Like I'm talking to people and I see what's going on in their minds. It's confusion. It's fear. It's hard to go against the crowd and This motto, like, okay, we don't leave our people in war. That's a very powerful thing. Patriotism is a very powerful thing. People feel like, okay, like I can't go against the country and the government because, you know, our people are dying. And back to your time in in Russian media, you said that there
6: was no like, order or like discussion, like, OK, we have to make our stories like this, there, there was just it sounds like almost that there was just some sort of understanding that we all have to kind of march like a soldier, you said. But how did you and others that you worked with handle certain stories about opposition leaders like Navalny or about people who were killed, journalists who were killed or people who were poisoned by, I guess, mm. Putin or the Kremlin? Like, how, how did you guys maneuver around those stories or did they just not get reported?
1: My job was a little bit different. I was a a news anchor, right? So I would just report news. And I also worked on different channels where it was a little bit different, specific, not politics. Uh, but I, uh, you know all the stories when you go too far, like Anna Politkovska, right? And if you touch something that is untouchable, so you probably will be in danger. And that's what happened to those people, to those journalists, Right. So there is a certain line if you're going to cross that. So you are in trouble.
6: I I talked to an older man in Moscow in in late February. He's originally from Ukraine, but he lived in Moscow his adult life. He has family in both Russia and Ukraine. And he told me that when he tries to talk to his own family in Russia about what life is like in Ukraine, that, you know, many people speak Russian freely. There's no ban on speaking Russian in Ukraine. Um, When he he said when he when he tries to talk about Ukraine, his family does not believe him. They only believe what they see on Russian media. And he said. That there are these huge family fights over this, mm-hmm. like to the point where it causes
1: like a, a, a rupture in the family. Have is that yeah. the case? Uh, absolutely. This is what paradoxical about the situation. Like uh, for years, that it was planted in the minds of people that what the uh, politics of Putin is good and right, and we're going in the right direction. Even before that, when Navalny made this movie, uh, Putin's Palace, and it was, and he also made a lot of other movies that would show the corruption and insane wealth of people on top of uh, the government or related Related to government or even just you know other people Uh, people were kind of like thinking okay this is like not normal but now when it's war everyone kind of like got into this crowd to support the government it's one thing another thing the power of propaganda is showing only one side like we said and now they have this uh, site war was fakes and journalists that working to show that, OK, this is not true. Like whenever I talk to people from Russia, like my friends, they would t- tell me, OK, this is fake. Like if you show them a dying woman, they will tell you, OK, it's filmed from four cameras and it's fake. Uh, but I want to say that, you know, maybe in a, like, I don't know, it's so confusing that you almost feel like you are in an alternative reality there. The difference between evil and good are is, is not existing. You cannot understand us. Okay, the, the, who is lying? Who is doing what? When I sent to my friend a photo of a dead girl, he sent me back a head that was cut off from a young soldier, Russian soldier. And you know what? Now we're discussing all these details. We are inside of insanity that's called war. So, anyways, it's all confusing. It's all weird because you wouldn't expect anything like this. Like even like fifty years ago right now it's a totally different different level of uh, war on the level of information right it sounds like you've painted a picture
6: of a lot of russian people believing what they see on on the media and believing the narrative that they're told by by their government even with sanctions and the pressure of sanctions and how that does some of those sanctions and those pressures trickle down to the people what is your sense of of any russian anger towards the Kremlin or towards Putin? It, the thought of anybody sort of rising up against this existing government, or is that is that sort of not a possibility in your mind?
1: To answer a question, I need you to understand what kind of country we have right now. And it's really hard because uh, all your life you probably spend in a country when you learn how to value freedom of speech. It's not a case in Russia. And uh, now it got so worse to the point like people afraid to say anything. That's why I'm saying every single person who just stands with the two words and say something, it's a hero for me. Uh, everyone is very scared and whenever like some people in media hear saying come on russians you know stand up do something i want to tell the guys it's very difficult it's a brutal police government and uh you will be punished for whatever you say even again like in in the case of maria of we don't see a really huge move or something terrible but um again, everyone lives in that fear for their families, for the work, for the future. And I don't know how we're gonna fight with this. this. This is an open uh, question. Uh, how is it possible to do anything with, uh, with this kind of evil thing? That's a big question for all of us, not just from Russia, for Russia or Ukraine.
6: Anna Colton, thank you so much for your time and your insight, we appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thank you.
7: Do you use oxygen therapy to breathe? If you've been prescribed oxygen, you know the problems that come with it when you're tied to an oxygen tank or concentrator. Going out of the house is a burden and nobody likes to be stuck inside alone. Now you can live life on the go with a lightweight Inogen Portable Oxygen Concentrator. Inogen is oxygen therapy that moves with you. Travel around the corner or on board an aircraft with an Inogen Portable Oxygen Concentrator that provides the medical-grade oxygen your doctor prescribes in a device that weighs less than 5 pounds. Inogen's longest lasting device delivers 12 hours of oxygen on a single battery charge. Call now to speak with an Inogen Oxygen Specialist and learn how you can try an Inogen risk-free for 30 days. Give us a call right now. 1-800-245-9878 Don't manage a heavy tank when you leave the house. With Inogen, you can get the oxygen you need with a system that's so small and light, it goes almost anywhere. Learn how you can experience an Inogen system for yourself, risk-free. Call now, 1-800-245-9878. Inogen devices are by prescription only. Battery run times vary by device and setting usage. Terms and conditions apply. For safety information, visit Inogen.com.
5: This is Gordon Chang with your Fox News commentary coming up.
2: President Biden, like all presidents, has been trying to accentuate the positive, pointing to accomplishments like job gains and the recovering economy.
5: More jobs created in one year than ever before in American history and hadn't stopped. We're now well over 7 million jobs, 678,000 just last month.
2: The president there speaking to town and city leaders at a conference in Washington, D.C., Tuesday. But those Americans with new jobs are now paying a lot more for gas getting to work and for most other things, too, with inflation at a 40-year high. Voters don't like that, but the president's overall approval rating is up a bit lately.
3: Since he gave his State of the Union on March 1st, he's gained uh, a couple of points in his approval rating, and his disapproval rating has also come down a couple of points. So about five points net total when you take both of those factors uh, into account.
2: Tom Bevins, the founder and executive editor of Real Clear
3: Politics. The question is whether you know he can sustain that or whether... It will revert to the mean, as we say, over the you know coming weeks and months.
2: Yeah. I mean, the news comes at you. Life comes at you when you're president. We were talking about covid at one point that probably won't be as much of a factor in the election. Now we're talking about gas prices and inflation. We may still be talking about uh, Ukraine and foreign relations, uh, depending on that, how that plays out. Um, how how are voters considering the president's actions on Ukraine so far?
3: So far, uh, fairly well, I think the majority of folks approve of the way he's handling the situation in Ukraine, um, you know, foreign policy, more broadly speaking, not as well. And obviously, uh, all of that is against the backdrop of Afghanistan, which, which people very much disapproved of the way that he and his administration handled that. So, um, it's, but, but as far as the Ukraine situation is concerned, um, he's getting higher marks than he, than he has on foreign policy. And so I think there is a certain rally around the the president effect that's, that's going on right now. There seems to be pretty broad bipartisan unity in Washington. And, uh, and so for that reason, I think the president's enjoying that that is the source of, of his bump, because as you mentioned, all the other issues that are going on, you know, the inflation, you know, seems to be getting worse. Gas prices are getting higher. Uh, So Ukraine is really the only situation that has happened recently, which has seemed to move his numbers in a positive direction
2: Gas prices and inflation are are up in most parts of the developed world And Joe Biden didn't make gas prices higher in Ireland But as usual, I assume uh, that stuff always plays pretty big with voters, right?
3: Well, sure, I mean, it's, it's voters are uh, very concerned about inflation, it is the number one issue, number one concern on the minds of voters. The economy is always the driving force in in elections, particularly midterm elections um and and so both of those fronts, while the administration continues to try and tout good news, I mean Biden was just saying how how many jobs he's he's created and you know unemployment rate is down, and they're bringing down the deficit and all these things um and you You understand the administration's desire to take the numbers that are most favorable to them and and tout them um, the problem is you also have this this flip side this real dichotomy you've got consumer sentiment is at its lowest point in eleven years inflation's at its highest point in forty years uh, as you mentioned gas prices are are you know off the charts and while the biden is is not Completely 100% responsible for gas prices. He, nevertheless, uh, you know, Democrats control both chambers of Congress and the White House, and voters are seeing those price increases all around them in their everyday lives. And, and that's why it's such a salient political issue. This is not some abstract thing that is being debated in Washington. This is what people are, are living every single day when they go to the grocery store and when they go to the gas station.
2: Yeah. I mean, the elections, uh, the midterms, that is, are seven and a half months away. So we don't, again, know what's going to be happening in six, seven months. Um, what's the threshold? What's the correlation for a president's approval rating and how his party does in the midterms, notwithstanding how the map happens to look that year?
3: Yeah. I mean, historically, it's it's, you know, the the party that's in power um, in their first midterm will lose, you know, two dozen plus seats in the House of Representatives uh, and, you know, one to three Senate seats, depending on, on again, you know, what the map looks like and how favorable or unfavorable it might be. Uh, you know, the traditional metric, uh, you know, job approval rating for the president is the strongest correlator between, you know, predicting an election outcome. And traditionally that's been around the 50% mark. And it makes complete sense. If you think the person who's in charge is doing a good job, you're going to vote to reelect members of his party. The further you get, Uh, below 50%, uh, the harder it is for Democrats and where the president is now, even though he's been, you know, again, as we mentioned, he's, he's seen a slight increase over the past couple of weeks. He's still at 42.1% in our real clear politics average. Uh, And that portends uh, a really, really tough midterm election for Democrats. I mean, if he doesn't improve on that number, you're looking at, you know, easily, 25 is sort of this, the floor for where Democrats could could be in terms of losing the House. And the Senate would be two to four or even five Senate seats um, because those numbers are just they won't Democrats in in purple states and swing districts will not be able to, to overcome uh, the the historical anti incumbency uh, sentiment that usually surrounds the, the midterm. And you couple that with a presidential job approval rating in the low 40s. And it's going to be it's going to be a bad, bad night for Democrats.
2: Remind me how the map does look this year for uh, for the Democrats and the Republicans in the House and the Senate.
3: Democrats have actually done better in redistricting than a lot of people thought. And and so they may have actually even improved their standing, which which, you know, nobody really saw coming. Uh, and, And so even that being the case. Uh, it's still probably not going to offset. I mean, their their margin there is just so slim that uh, that, you know, it's it's I think most political prognosticators see the Democrats as having almost no chance of maintaining control of the House of Representatives. When you look to the Senate, um, you know, it's a different story. I mean, the, the Senate, there's a lot of fluidity there. I mean, you've got obviously some really vulnerable Democratic incumbents in Georgia, uh, Nevada. Arizona. Those three in particular uh, are places where you know Democrats are going to be uh, really in, in uh, a, a political battle to hold on to those seats. Then you've got a couple that are just a tick below those places like New Hampshire and Colorado. Um, But on the flip side, you know, you have open seats in North Carolina, which has become a very, very competitive state, uh, Republican open seat and a Republican open seat in Pennsylvania, which is, you know, very, very high on the on the Democrats target list. And then they've got some other races. uh, Wisconsin, for example, Ron Johnson's running for reelection. uh, That is a very, you know, evenly divided state as well. And so, and then there are just some wild cards that, you know, you just don't know. For example, in, in Ohio, which is a, clearly a Republican leaning state, uh voted overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016 and 2020. There's a real intra party battle going on there in the Republican primary. And depending on who comes out of that uh and how they play with the electorate, that could be a seat that sneaks up on on Republicans. Uh and and they have to really fight to hold on to that one. Um so there's a again there's a lot of fluidity a lot of potential possible outcomes uh but there's about eight seats you know that are really sort of in play and and they're split you know pretty evenly i think it's you know about four four democratic seats and four republican seats wh- that are going to get all the attention all the money uh all the you know ground game efforts and the like for now it's looking like
2: we'll get a rematch unless something happens where president biden decides not to run or he can't run or if something happens where Donald Trump can't run or won't run. Um, how do they look head to head looking if we're going to look that far into the future? We, are, we, this, are we at the same point where we were last year?
3: Yeah, basically. I mean, like, it's, it's like it's like watching the sequel. To, you know, we've already seen the movie and it didn't end well the first time around. And this is, uh, you know, sequels are never as good as the as the original. So, I mean, it's it would be absolute. You know, hand to hand combat in all the same states. They're basically tied, um, you know, and that's probably true with Trump against, you know, a lot of Democratic candidates because Trump reactivates all of those negative feelings among, you know, suburban moderates and and, you know, women uh, sort of, you know, soft Republican women and that, that Democrats really won over in 2018 and 2020. Uh, and even though President Biden, you know, is a lot of those voters maybe having a little bit of buyer's remorse uh, with President Biden, you know, with Trump on the ballot, it's it's right back to, you know, just absolute 50 50, uh, you know, crazy. Now, to your point, we may not get that movie. We may get a completely different movie with all new cast and, and crew. Um, I personally don't think Biden's going to run again. I just don't think he can, given where he is politically his age, um, where the party is and what they want to do. And so, um, you know, and then there's the question, well, is is it Kamala Harris? She's the heir apparent. But I, I just feel like there's no way that she clears the field. She is too weak of a candidate. Uh, there are too many other folks in the Democratic Party who are ambitious and, and see themselves as as the future of the of Democratic Party. And so um, if Biden does step away, there's going to be a real uh, free-for-all in the Democratic Party again. And and that does not bode well. Uh, you know, you go back and look at at history when, you know, typically when an incumbent president is challenged in a primary, whether it was, you know, uh, George H.W. Bush or uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, any of these folks, it, it ends badly for that party. Now, you know, if if that's an open seat and not an incumbent president, uh, you know, potentially the ending could be different. But nevertheless, you know, Democrats, they don't they want to be united behind a candidate. And, and if Biden doesn't run, it, there's just no obvious choice that's going to unite the party. Tom
2: Bevan, co-founder and executive editor of Real Clear Politics. Tom, good to talk to you again. Thanks.
3: Absolutely.
4: Up the one-size-fits-all method when it comes to healthcare, especially when it comes to your ED treatment. Well, good news! Now you've got options with Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatments, such as chewable mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for less. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you for free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time to join the hundreds of thousands of trusted Hims subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at That's hims.com/rundown. That's h i m s.com/rundown for your personalized ED treatment options
8: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary.
1: Gordon Chang.
5: What's on your mind? China's Ministry of Defense threatened to impose the, quote, worst consequences, unquote, on countries helping Taiwan defend itself. Quote, no one and no force can stop the historical trend that China will solve the Taiwan question and realize a complete national reunification. To anyone who makes troubles on the Taiwan question, the higher you jump, the harder you fall, a ministry spokesman told reporters. Revealingly, China Military Online an official English language site of China's People's Liberation Army, translated the last sentence of the spokesman's words this way, quote, anyone who makes troubles on the Taiwan question will suffer the worst consequences in the end. Usually Beijing's official English translations soften Chinese texts. This is one of the rare cases where the opposite is true, indicating the Chinese military is itching to use its nuclear weapons. The belligerent warning was issued a day after contentious talks between Chinese ruler Xi Jinping and Australian officials. The Chinese side was particularly incensed by comments from Australian Defense Minister Peter Dutton, who pledged full support for Taiwan. The People's Republic of China claims Taiwan is a breakaway province. The island, formerly the Republic of China, maintains it is a sovereign state. The disagreement between Beijing and Taipei is a leftover of the still unresolved Chinese civil war. The U.S. position is that Taiwan's status is unresolved and must not be settled without the consent of its people. These days, Taiwan's people overwhelmingly self-identify as Taiwanese, not Chinese, and refuse to be forcibly incorporated into the Chinese communist state. Beijing has repeatedly reserved for itself the right to use force to annex Taiwan. Beijing also promises to use the world's most destructive weapons if it has to. Can it be any coincidence that, after having seen Putin successfully issue nuke threats, Beijing is adopting the same intimidation tactics? For almost a decade, Russian doctrine has been to, quote, escalate to deescalate or, quote, escalate to win. In other words, to threaten or even use nuclear weapons early in a conventional conflict or crisis. Many believe President Biden is not fighting harder to save Ukraine because he fears Russia will use its nuclear arsenal. Like Vladimir Putin, the Communist Party of China has lost its fear of American power. In January, Biden agreed with the Russian Federation to extend the New START Treaty, which generally limits deployed strategic nuclear warheads to 1,550. China is not a party to any nuclear arms control deals and has generally refused to join in any negotiations. The Chinese military, from all indications, is building a nuclear quote war fighting close quote capability, hoping to intimidate others into submission. The specter of China imposing quote worst consequences means the U.S. should not remain in any nuclear arms control agreement as long as China refuses to limit its arsenal. America cannot allow itself to be outgunned, and it cannot be a good sign that Russia and China are making nuke threats at the same time. I'm Gordon G. Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China. Follow me on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up
8: to date by subscribing to this podcast at FoxnewsPodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to Foxnews.com.